Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. He's been stuck at 39 wins, not in the top 10 in points this year. Will Power about to change that through turn 11, now to turn 12 for the final time. Nobody has won at this track more in history than Johnny Aiken, but in the modern era amongst major series, we have seen five-time winners. We saw a four-time winner. Will Power could be on the way to his sixth victory in Indianapolis. Won't be quite an Indy 500-type victory lane, but it will be a happy one nonetheless. Twin checkers fly. The big machine spike coolers Grand Prix. A dominant performance by Will Power. He'll go to victory lane. As he exits turn number 10 through turn number 11, he'll hit number 12 with just a few uh, turns left. And Austin Sindrick knows with A.J. Allmendinger behind him by about 10 car lengths that he just has to have a couple of really good turns here. No problem in 12. Sets up now for turn number 13. No problem in 13. Rear end skipped out just a little bit, but no issue. Guys, help bring home Austin Sindrick. Austin Sindrick for the final time now looking for the white flag here at the Brickyard. His family has had so uh, many great wins here. And right now, it's Roger Penske's car underneath the checkered flag. He wins today's Penzol 150 at the Brickyard. A.J. Allmendinger just a few more corners to get him their first win. A.J. Allmendinger could come here and pull off the most amazing win of his career at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Another chapter written into the Indy history books. A.J. Allmendinger will cross the yard of bricks, the winner of the first ever road course race for the Cup Series. Let's go! Brickyard Week continues. All headed to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend. NASCAR, IndyCar together one more time. And it is on the road course. Talked to a few people that were asking uh, about the oval race this weekend. Nope, nope, it's it's on the road course for at least one more year. IndyCar Friday and Saturday. NASCAR Saturday, and then the cup race on Sunday. Xfinity is on Saturday afternoon. Highlights from 2021 from NBC and IndyCar Radio. Welcome to Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Second night in a row utilizing the key card coming to the downtown headquarters on Monument Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Eddie Garrison is our in-studio producer. Uh, festivities, before I forget, kind of get underway tomorrow. I want to mention the Hauler Parade on Main Street from 5 until 7. Some drivers there. Brody Kostecki, who's one of the supercar drivers, is going to be there signing autographs. A lot of fun stuff. And then on-track activity begins early Friday morning. We'll get into the schedule more in just a little bit. We have special guests in the studio. Another uh, is is now become a regular because he... he quote, wins the auction each year or loses uh, because he's always the high bidder when we ask for donations at the Prime 47 Burger Bash to come in for an in-studio visit. It's our friend, Dr. Nasser Hanna, who is kind enough to join us and will be able to chime in. And we've tandemed it with a very special announcement coming up in just a matter of moments that will involve our other in-studio guests. We like to have young drivers come in and spend more than just five minutes on a Zoom call and let fans get to know them a little bit better. It's the driver of the number 11 for Chip Ganassi Racing, Marcus Armstrong. Thank you for coming in. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Fresh off a guest hosting appearance at the Grand Ole Opry on Friday night where you looked terrified. Hmm. So um, I, I, I didn't really spell this out, but did you know that you're hosting this show as well? So I'm looking forward to what <laughs> questions you have for us. Lovely. Um, well, I've, somehow I feel like I will handle that better than, than at the Opry because as you saw firsthand, they handed me like a script to introduce 
Mike Snyder, who is uh, keeping the mountain music alive, as my script said. You've got it memorized. Well done. Um, which had me very nervous because usually I feel more comfortable with coming up with stuff on the spot. And in that case, I actually had to read from a script in front of around 5,000 people, which was as you can imagine, quite nerve-wracking for someone whose job is not talking on TV for a living. <laughs> hey, you got his name right when Townsend tried to mention that on the broadcast over the weekend. He got Mike Snyder's name wrong, so you were already ahead of Townsend on that. We had to explain what hee-haw was to you. weren't really familiar. That was part of the script. Mike was uh, part of the hee-haw cast, so that was good. You got that done, and you did well. And now you can get back to focusing on the race car. So before we get into what's coming up this weekend, let's just kind of big picture about your first experience in in America. What have you taken from your rookie season in IndyCar with Chip Ganassi Racing? It's certainly been an eventful 10 months, I'd say. Uh, Probably less than that, really. Eight months. Uh, I arrived here from, obviously, Formula 2. I'd done quite a bit in, in F1 as well, just as a... Um, test and reserve for Ferrari and uh, so my whole background sort of came from the European side um, which is very different to here in America and IndyCar. Uh, I've followed IndyCar from a very young age so I am very familiar with all the circuits uh, although the intricacies of how to maximize this car and you know the environment with the, the culture being quite different as well has been has been a great challenge but I feel as though something that I've been you know up for since the very beginning uh, I've learned so much uh, I think the fact that I have three phenomenal teammates um, helps me a lot I've obviously got Scott Dixon Mark Erickson Alex Pillow as teammates which uh, for anyone listening will know exactly who they are um, so I've got the big advantage of l- talking to them looking at their data uh, you name it asking them ridiculous amounts of questions I think Scott Dixon will be the first to admit that I'm probably the most annoying of his teammates uh, just because I'm always asking questions and um, no it's it's been honestly phenomenal and I'm enjoying every single day on the job which helps me get um, results in my opinion they said Pillow asked a lot of questions too so you're in good company I would say keep the questions coming and learn what you can. And then you've got Dario Franchitti to lean on as well. Um, you're pretty hard on yourself. You know, we, we, we see the frustration because you have such high expectations and you've had a lot of success. You won, you won what, four times in F2? You finished second in the F3 championship. So you come with credentials. I think most of us feel like it's really hard for a rookie. You're doing really well. How do you judge how it's going? Uh, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that statement right now. I, <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, I do have high expectations, um, but I feel like I do manage them to a certain to a certain level. Like, I don't just say that I want to win every race, you know. I, I am realistic in the fact that I am capable of being inside the top five, so when I'm not, uh, that is quite frustrating. Uh, obviously, there's a learning curve that needs to be done just to understand um, how to get the most out of a race weekend here in IndyCar. The, the the way the weekend is structured is very different. And when you're competing against someone like Scott Dixon or, um, you know, Will Power, for example, who have been here and done it, you know, a million times, I think Scott's just completed his 350th race at the same time that I completed my eighth, I believe. <laughs> Not an excuse, but, you know, when you get to that point, um, you just know what to expect. Um, so yes, my expectations are high, but I think I'm capable of it. You know, I want to get let people know a little bit about your background um, from New Zealand, and like most from anywhere other than Europe and America, you have to go somewhere else. You know, and in America, even some decide to go to Europe. What was that like? When did you leave home? And what was that like leaving as a teenager to go live off by yourself? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I left home, like New Zealand being home, when I was 13. <laughs> so uh, I sort of, you know, backpack in hand, off I went to Italy to compete with the factory Tony Kart team. Uh, I stayed in Europe till last year. So I've been living alone for 10 years now. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but it's been, it's cool because in casting when I was younger, I was racing every single weekend. Um Obviously, I've been interested in, in IndyCar since I was very young. Uh, I think Scott has a has played a, 
a big role in that just because of his amazing success. So I've always kept an eye on IndyCar. Uh, I've always been fascinated by how how difficult these cars are to drive. Like you just have to watch the TV to understand like how much of a beast these things really are. So that was always an attractive thing for me um, growing up and going through the formulas. Um, I made the decision to come over reasonably early last year. I, I, that was my target anyway. Like there was certainly no guarantee in getting a seat, but that was my target. Um, and well, it all pieced together, you know, like dream come true. So I'm here with Chip Ganassi Racing, obviously a, a phenomenal team, 15 times champions, uh, 14 times I believe actually. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and. Honestly, I think I've I've reached my destination in many ways. Now I just need to get the success. It's go. It's okay to go ahead and count this year's because I, I pre- feel pretty confident that's going to happen for Alex Pillow at, at this point. Um, I'm curious what the F2 world and lifestyle is like compared to IndyCar. I think from a racing standpoint, it's it's a really high level of race car. I know they're not the same. But are there as many expectations for an F2 driver, you know, outside of the car as there is for an IndyCar driver? Like I said, the weekends are structured very differently. Uh, we have more sessions in IndyCar, which is nice because in F2 we have very few, mm. very few sessions and not much track time, just because the tire is um, just so sensitive and fragile that you only get a couple of laps prior to the race, really. So. Um, here, at least, you get to build up to a point where you're comfortable. Um, in Formula Two, you very much need to arrive and be on it; otherwise, you're not gonna have you're not gonna be on it. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I feel like here in IndyCar, it's certainly it's easier to be a rookie in the sense that you do have the track time. Um, I think, yeah. Ultimately, in IndyCar, there is there is pressure. There's always pressure to perform. I'd say the the most pressure comes from me, just because I I know that. The possibility to win is genuinely there. I'm in a phenomenal team and um, I have a great car. Um, but as well, uh, you have time to just sort of, you know, smell the flowers, so to speak, um, because the weekends uh, are a bit more about racing and um, less about just preparing and looking at data. So Here? Yes. Okay. I'm not trying to send you back because we like having you here, but you bring up something interesting that there's more track time, potentially more development a chance to get more experience over here it's always been thought that the only way to get to formula one is you need to be in their system might it make sense for someone that's been through their system to come over here for a little while get more experience and i guess ultimately my i'm asking are you more prepared if the opportunity came about now to do formula one than you were a year ago Hindsight is great because you always you learn things. I feel like I've learned an immense amount since I've arrived here. Um, I think I've had a lot of experience in Formula Two, which is uh, the tire is extremely fragile. There's a lot of technicalities on the car, which is quite peculiar, I would say. Coming over here and driving a car that is, in my opinion, closer to an F1 car, just in the way that it moves and the way that it feels. Um, you could argue, yes, it, it does prepare me better uh, than my previous championship. But um, ultimately, it's the FIA. The FIA structured the point system, the um, the license point system, to sort of incentivize drivers to go through their ladder. Yep. F4, F3, F2. Um, and I think I don't think Colton Hurst even had the points to go over at the he end did of not. last year. So. But if he would have done the. Uh formula regional america's championship which is on a level with usf 2000 <laughs> and won that he would have had the points to do so yeah so, um, <laughs> i think linus lundquist has a super license yeah i have one so i have one as well, well um, I, I, I get why you have one you won races <laughs> in f2 uh yeah. and now you're an indycar driver but yeah it's whatever whatever uh, yeah long story short i think that indycar would would prepare any driver at the pointy end to be in formula one that's for sure so let's talk about what's coming up this weekend, and our in-studio guest host was a very nice coincidence. Dr. Hannah was already scheduled to come in at some point, um, but you're going to have a new look to your race car. You've had a few different liveries this season, 
And it's going to be officially unveiled tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., but you teased it a little bit on social media. What's going to be on the side of your car this weekend? Yes, I'm very, very fortunate to be representing the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center uh, on this weekend's uh, number 11 Chip Ganassi Racing Honda. So I am extremely fortunate to be to be joined by the man himself here in the in the studio but it's it's going to be fantastic um i don't want to tease it too badly but it's a very good looking car i may have put something on social media when i had the suit um Mm -hmm. so i mean you can try and piece together the puzzle but um yeah i'm gonna keep the big surprise for tomorrow well hardcore fans of this show and the the driver most associated with this show my son will have an idea and this is one of those you know sometimes when i ask a driver about the livery for the weekend i have to ask all right what's the what what does this company do or what what's the significance uh, full disclosure i know what's going on here um and jackson drives the iu simon cancer center car throughout the year in the pro 2000 series but this is a different arrangement dr hannah tell us how this came together through a gift from someone who has benefited from what the Cancer Center offers our community. Yeah, well, we are extremely excited about this uh, this sponsorship. And uh, you're right, this was the full livery sponsorship was gifted to the Cancer Center by Jack, John, and Jeff Schwartz family. And Jeff Schwartz and his wife, Jill, are members of the Cancer Center's development board. And... Uh, you know, we are uh, very excited to uh, to work with IndyCar. Uh, we think that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, IndyCar, the Grand Prix, the 500 are incredible platforms for the city and for the Cancer Center. And we're excited to sponsor Marcus's car. He's an incredibly impressive driver. Looks like he'll be the Rookie of the Year this year. And uh, I think his first podium is coming very, very soon. And he came down and visited today? He did. He interacted with the the faculty and the staff. He signed autographs. He was incredibly gracious. Uh, He went up into the infusion area where many of our patients were getting chemotherapy. They were excited to see him. He gave autographs there and talked to people who were going through cancer treatment, Mm -hmm. personalized all the autographs, and uh, we just uh, couldn't be more delighted to have him represent uh, the Cancer Center uh, on Saturday. And, And we all know about what the American Legion and what their partnership with Chip Ganassi Racing as well. That's their their charity partner. This is this is about awareness, right? We just want to let people know the asset that our community has in in the cancer center. And really, you know, Dr. Lee, uh, who's the director of the cancer center, always says this. I'm trying to put myself out of business, is what he says. You want to make sure that you don't have any patients to deal with, or as few as possible. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely the mission. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of research, and we like to say research cures cancer. And I think you may see that on the car this uh, this Saturday. So research does cure cancer. The better treatments for cancer that are going to be available in the next few years are actually available today but it's through clinical trials. So it's so important to uh, invest in research and support it and participate in research. But just as importantly, or or even more importantly, is prevention of cancer and early screening for cancer. Uh, If you are unfortunate enough to be diagnosed with cancer, your outcomes are usually much better with early detection. And obviously, some cancers have very effective ways of uh, prevention so that's a major message. The uh, the group of patients that I care for have lung cancer, and um, I'm a chair of an organization called End Lung Cancer Now, and most of our efforts are focused on prevention and screening. Dr. Nasser Hanna is a professor of medicine at the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Marcus Armstrong is driving their car coming up this weekend, the number 11 for Chip Ganassi Racing, and it will look different than Jackson's car. It's the full livery. We have to put a lot of stickers on our car, so it makes it more difficult to give it the full love, but this is a full Cancer Center car, so it's, it's going to be a great look. And Marcus, you get to go back. I guess this will be for the first time to attract for the second time. Everything has been new to you this year other than maybe a couple of tests. What kind of optimism does that bring for you for this weekend? 
it certainly gives me some reassurance that I'm not going to have any big surprises in FP1. Yeah. Uh, that's generally been um, the thing this year is sort of been arriving and, and being on the pace straight away, um, having been to the circuit before and felt I felt very comfortable there when we last raced there. I feel like it's going to make the this weekend a lot less stressful. I would say um, it's great for the for the for the crew because we can prepare much more um, much more in depth and sort of start to already plan on the setup items that we would like to test. Considering that I haven't raced at any other circuits before, um, that's been a bit of a tough task this year. But um, yeah, I think it's it's certainly. It's certainly helping to get that first podium, like Dr. Hannah just said. Most of our listeners know you've only raced on the road courses and street circuits. You've had an up-close look at the ovals. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway looks different in that configuration. Have you been itching, I would assume, more or less than what you thought to run an oval at some point? (laughs) Yeah, uh, I've been asked that question 50 times in many different ways over the past month, but I honestly, it's one of those things that... I don't know what I don't know yet because I haven't raced, I haven't driven on an oval before. I can obviously do as much research as I like, um, look at as much data and video and talk to as many drivers as possible, but until I fully experience it, um, I won't know the sensation. I, I'm genuinely looking forward to the first time I get to try it because it, it is, it's, a, an amazing, <laughs> it's an amazing concept really. And um, It's a concept. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if, if for example, on a street circuit or a road course, I, I understand I understand what I need to do to be up at the pointy end. Um, on an oval, I haven't yet discovered what is required to be, you know, the best on the grid. So that's an exciting challenge that obviously there will be a learning curve involved, but um, it's something that I'm extremely fascinated by. Dr. Han, I know you had some questions. We'll let you take over now. Uh, well, you know, we it seems clear why certain athletes excel at certain sports. You know, basketball, football, hockey, baseball. But I'm curious to know, what is it, what are the skills that differentiate somebody who races cars for a living, who reaches the elite level versus the maybe very good level versus the good level. What are those things that, that, that make somebody like a Scott Dixon? That's a really good question. Um, I have been very lucky to, to have been exposed to some great drivers in the past. Um, I feel like Charles Leclerc is a great example of somebody who is just, he was, he's a Formula One driver for Ferrari. Um, He's incredibly talented. He has an amazing feeling for the car. Um, but I would say that he was always fast, to be fair to him, but he he was the guy that tried to understand every single detail before going out on track. Um, I would say Alex Pillow has that, that same quality. Um, supreme talent, obviously, but um, an amazing work ethic. Uh, and then there's the self-honesty part of it. I feel like every every great driver is probably the same in every sport has to recognize at some point that somebody is better at certain things and you need to go away and and work at it um and with tied with experience self-confidence and talent i think that is probably the ingredients to becoming a great racing driver (laughs) and then you had another question you told me you were going to ask which i thought was a good one about Uh, street racing and yeah i mean some of the courses you guys have run this year are bumpy and you've got that power steering and how has that experience been i i i I somehow think that's not been your experience in europe what's that (laughs) been like how do you uh how do you handle those bumpy courses with that heavy steering wheel yeah well my hands are still healing after nashville honestly um it is extremely physically demanding this car uh these circuits as well the steering wheel is constantly ripping out of your hand, which were hands. So, in Europe, the circuits are usually a lot smoother. It's generally just high energy, heavy steering in Formula Two because we don't have power steering either. The difference here is that it's so bumpy that it's like the kickback from the steering is really very difficult to control. So, like for example, I, I don't quote me on it, but I think Grosjean said that the wheel ripped out of his hands in Toronto. And I think Jack Harvey said the same thing this past weekend. Yes. When the same thing happened to him. It's a, it's a 
it's one of those things where it just happens. Um, so you're always having to grip the wheel a lot harder than you would like. Um, street course racing, for whatever reason, tears up my hands. Um, so usually I'll have a bunch of blisters. Uh, road courses will be okay. But road courses generally have higher energy corners, which puts more demand on the neck and the shoulders and the brute force of the steering wheel as opposed to the kickback. So it, both of them are very different. And then, like I said previously, I'm going to have to discover the uh, physical demands of the ovals next. So it's all interesting. And yet you've been best on the street races. Your best finish of seventh was that was at toronto and you've been eighth a couple of times and then i think 11th on the others so obviously you figured it out pretty well yes i think in, in road america we were on we were on course for a good one um yeah maybe a top five yeah yeah we were looking good there which is obviously a road course uh i i love the feeling of of really pushing the limits and going to the walls and um just yeah being on the very edge of crashing without crashing that is <laughs> one of the really great things about my job uh taking risk but not too much <laughs> and street course uh, road courses sorry are, are quite um you know about precision and but also confidence and i feel like road america we really did have a great package a fantastic car and uh, i was feeling confident but the result didn't ultimately come um and for that, we need to make up for it this weekend. I think about perspective a lot. And you talk about finishing 7th, 8th. You've been in that 7 to 11 range almost every race this season. And yet you look at three Penske drivers who are as talented and experienced in this field as, as anybody could ask for. The three teammates that you have, a couple at Andretti, a couple at Aero McLaren, three of them actually – the fact that you even get to seven, eight, nine is yep. is we, pretty impressive. We, we've named twelve already there that are, you know, very established. Probably feel like they should win the championship. And the other stat that it just occurred to me when you were speaking about being twenty three years old and being around Scott Dixon, he's won a race in this series for twenty consecutive years. Well, for twenty years overall, and eighteen in a row. Mm. I mean, it's 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 hard to get your head around the fact that somebody could step into this sport. And even be close to, you know, his speed. Well, yes, yeah, Scott is very, very experienced and smart. I think he never takes, like I spoke about risks before, but he always takes the appropriate risks. I find, um, and watching his onboards are always, it's like going to school. You know, <laughs> going to the office with my backpack on feels like going to school. Um, and he, he's fast, very fast. Has a great feeling with the car. Um, and aggressive, you know, gets the most out of it. Uh, he hasn't won a race this season, which makes me think that he's going to win one soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was, I always pinch myself because I'm a Kiwi, so <clears throat> when I'm racing him, it's like racing against your childhood hero. And uh, we were side by side at one point at Nashville. Uh, I put my thinking cap on and, and didn't do anything silly around him, but um, yeah, it's. Um, I've got a I've got a big advantage clearly compared to other rookies just because I have those three guys as my teammates. So what more could I ask for? Did you pay attention to McLaughlin when you were a kid? He was already in supercars and winning there. Was that on the radar in New Zealand what the Aussie supercars were doing? I I always did watch it because it's it's a great spectacle, great racing in in Australia and Scott was competing with Shane Van Gisbergen a lot, who's racing here in NASCAR, yeah. uh, NASCAR this weekend. Um, those two, well, it'd be fair to say they've dominated that championship for yeah. quite a while. So I've always kept an eye on, on Scott McLaughlin. Uh, I never really thought I'd go down the Australian route. I, I went to Europe very early when I was 13, and not saying that I never found it attractive, but, yeah, I, just, I was more of a single-seated guy, I yeah. think. To see him come over from that background and do so well is really, really impressive. Like, I don't really need to, you know, pump up his tires because he knows it. But <laughs> to jump from one of those cars to a car like this, which is a total beast with downforce and big wide slicks and a ton of downforce, um, a ton of horsepower is, is really difficult. And you can't understate how quickly he made that jump um straight to the front of the grid because 
like I said earlier in the day, um, being inside the top ten is one thing in IndyCar, but you know, being on the podium and winning races is another. Is another, and Scott has won races, so that's really impressive. So, as we mentioned, you came from the F2 world, Kalamilat. Your former roommate came from the same background, Christian Lungard. I'm wondering, are you getting questions from others that are finding their path blocked in Formula One to say, hey, what's it like over there? How many more do you think are coming? Yes, I went to a Formula One race at Silverstone not long ago, and that was sort of the, <laughs> the question of the day, really. A lot of drivers are interested in IndyCar. Um, I would say it's more the fact that it's in America, which is the difficult thing for some of those born and bred Europeans. Um, Christian obviously made the the jump. I made the jump. I'm, I'm not, you know, attached to Europe. I'm a Kiwi, mm-hmm. and my family's not there. So for me, it was like I want to go racing in, a, in an awesome championship. So I'm going to go race in IndyCar, sort of thing. Whereas I think that a lot of Europeans do sort of think, you know, my family is is based in, in Europe. I'm not sure that I can sort of make the leap of faith, if that makes sense. And saying that, a lot of them are very interested. And I think given given the right um, offer, they would probably take it with both hands. The obligatory silly season question for you. You are, I believe, one of the, I think, 17 free agents. There are only 10 seats, I think, that are confirmed for next year. So there is much to still be determined how are you managing this? What kind of timeline do you hope to know something? Do you have someone helping you on that front? What's this like your first time through uh, since you've been here? Yes. Uh, well, no, I don't have anyone helping me, so to speak. Um, just me, myself, and I. Okay. But uh, I I feel like I have great trust in, in my team in the Chip Ganassi racing crew at this point and it's very much been like a family vibe since I've arrived um, all I can do on that side quite honestly is perform well uh, I didn't realise there were 17 free agents um, but I'd say every single one of them are probably thinking the same thing as me right now just got to perform well and the contracts should sort themselves out um, and it's it's difficult sometimes to you know stay present sometimes when you have that lingering on your mind but in this situation it's not for me because i'm in a great team i'm mm-hmm. having a lot of fun racing in a championship that is that i've always wanted to race in so i'm enjoying every single race weekend like it's my first and trying to learn as much as possible and and uh, we'll see where i land you should have first dibs on the seat you're in. That would be the hope, because uh, where you're at is where everyone wants to be at Chip Ganassi Racing. Thank you so much for coming in studio tonight. Um, on behalf of the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center, thank you for representing them. We look forward to uh, seeing what the car looks like tomorrow officially. And then um, go good this weekend. Thank you very much. That's the target. That- That's Marcus Armstrong. He'll be in the number 11, as he always is, this weekend, the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center uh, Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing, Friday and then Saturday, race time 2.30-ish, here on the radio and on USA Network on television. Stay with us. We've got more to come in just a moment. We've got some other things to get into. Your questions via Twitter at KevinLee23, at Kurt Cavan, or I guess I should say via X, formerly known as Twitter. More all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And we had Scott Dixon's teammate, Marcus Armstrong, in the studio, who now apparently is stuck in the elevator. (laughs) We forgot to tell him which floor to hit on the way out that doesn't need a key card. Um, So if he's late tomorrow, and now he's... No, this is a New Zealand... It's more Marcus Armstrong. It's a New Zealand phone call. This is live radio right yeah. here. Yeah, this is... You don't get this every day. That's why it's good to tape. Now, this was an, a request to do an interview with a New Zealand oh, okay. uh, network today. So I... Although maybe that's Marcus. Maybe that's Marcus's number there. Let's just share what, it. Why don't you, maybe not. Do <laughs> you want to call Marcus back? Oh, no. Okay. So I've texted I, Will from Public Relations, and hopefully he eventually gets out. If he's late for the track walk tomorrow... Then he's here in the MSP. He's got till nine o'clock on Friday. Yeah, I think I think he's he's going to be good. Um, 
Oh, one other thing I should mention. I mentioned this a week or two ago since Dr. Han is here from the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, our friends at Prime 47 downtown are doing something really cool this month as, as kind of a thank you, and it's sort of a, a give back for their participation in, in the Burger Bash. Everyone that dines at Prime 47 this month, if you mention the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center, put it in the notes in your reservation, the 20% of your bill, 20% food and drink goes directly to the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer throughout the month of August. So I need to tweet that again. I did that yeah, maybe a, w- a week or so ago. So I'll tweet that again tonight that has the link. But just go through their website and the normal way that you make reservations. You might be able to call and make the reservation and give it a go that way and just say, I'd like you know a portion of my bill to go to the cancer center. Same thing if you walk up. Uh, I know it does not apply to like if you do a big event there or something like that. But if it's just you and your family or friends at a table for dinner, rack up that bill and let's send some money to, to the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. A couple of nuggets. Uh, I've seen on NASCAR social media that they are changing the restarts. There may be less chaos. And this might be a good idea because I was worried about the Xfinity race finishing before dark starting at 5.30, and maybe even the cup race at 2.30 on Sunday, but they're not going to start in the same place that IndyCar does, which often leads to a big pile-up in turn one, and then even more coming back on the Holman Boulevard, even when they do get through turn one. So they're going to start basically around pit in is their restart zone. So um, I get it because they want to stop tearing up stuff, so the idea is that's really going to spread out people potentially going into turn one. The earlier you start them, the more that that it gets spread out. So that's that's one nugget. Another thing I had on my mind that we didn't finish up from Monday in our conversation, uh, what happened to David Malukas when the wing fell off in Nashville on Sunday? Essentially, there was an engine fire, and then from that, it melted and delaminated something attaching the rear wing uh the rear wing pillar so that's yeah, the pillars so they had they had two issues so i'm gonna guess he lost an engine out of that as well and they might have to change um on that front so that was one of the other aspects another thing that didn't really catch my eye until i think i saw honda tweet it They've won all five, or they won, because that was the last one. They won all five street races this season. Yep. Yep. And uh, from a million-dollar bonus standpoint, just those those four street course winners are the only ones eligible for that now because uh, nobody else can win a street circuit this year. So that uh, people-ready bonus, uh, you've got Polo. Uh, Kirkwood won two of them. Kirkwood is one of them. Lungard is one of them. And Marcus Erickson, the St. Pete winner. Yep. So they'll need to break the New Garden strangle on ovals and then. And also win a road course. In, well, Pelot's already done that. But the others. The so other, Pelot's the only one in position. He really is. And if he wins uh, he wins at Gateway, that would be the sweep. And that's it. That's the last chance. The last chance. So really, that's the only chance. He is the only one that no. is now. No, the others could win the oval and one of the last three road right. courses. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that's you know those, which is also a Joseph Newgarden Invitational. That's right at Gateway. Yeah, only won five straight oval races and should have be seven at this point. But. I think three there at, at Gateway. Yep, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Um, Schedule stuff. Oh, I, I want to check a couple of Twitter things too. Well, while you're looking at that, Polo, yep. we talk about if anyone could catch Polo. He's only won races at three of the last four oh. uh, tracks on the schedule. He's won fine. at IMS on the road course earlier in May. He's won at Portland and he's won at Laguna Seca last year only by 30 seconds. So he's in pretty good shape. So he could skip the next two races and. If Joseph Newgarden sweeps them and scores max points, would there be 108? Pelot would only be 24 points behind. 
That's right. If New Garden sweeps the next two races and scores max points, and Alex just says, I'm going to stay on the couch. I believe I read he could average a ninth place finish the rest of the season if New Garden won every race. If he wins the final four races, Pelot could average ninth. By the way, he's not finished worse than eighth, and his average finish is? 3.25. He... The other thing I came across yesterday is he's completed all but one lap since last year's Gallagher Grand Prix. I hadn't mentioned that he's yet. He's had but no I'm... troubles going back all the way to last year's race weekend, this part in the calendar. And that, again, shows how difficult that is that Tony Kanaan did. And a few years ago, Pagano did it and somebody else. Who else did well, it? Well, Dixon and, and, and Power both did it last year. They did? Okay. It happened again. They did um, two, first. I think very that was, rare. I think that was the first time two drivers had done it in the same season. Uh, okay. For Power some reason, I thought maybe in nineteen or something, Pagano and someone else did. But the point being, and even with Pelot, it should be an asterisk to some extent because it was Iowa. He finished like sixth or eighth in the race, <laughs> and he was a lap down. But that's what it is. There were five on the lead lap, so that's how that ends. It's not because actually they had he did a, finish fifth. Remember, or did he get to fifth? We'll have to look. In one of the races. Well, yeah. In one of the races, he finished oh, they, third. Oh, that's right. In the second race, he finished third. And in the first race, I'm going to guess that he finished eighth. And I'll be able to right. tell you with right. certainty here in. Once again, a you have trouble remembering both races. We do that. Yeah. The point is, the guy's had a pretty good season. Yes, he has. Uh, Twitter point or question. This is from Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan. She just uh, she links an article and tagged us and said, "Very proud of my son." Published article on IndyCar's greatest team rivalry. Rivalry, Justin Bailey in the StandpointNews.com. So you can see that uh, article there. Mister Son Arino asks, "Will there be an IndyCar warm up on Saturday morning? Will the practice at 4 p.m. Friday count as the quote warm up?" Thanks. No, that's there, that's it. That's, that's the warm up. There, the only IndyCar on track action on Saturday is the race, because Saturday, the first part of the day is NASCAR. It's Xfinity practice qualifying, Cup practice qualifying, IndyCar race, and then NASCAR Xfinity race. After that, and I read a tweet from uh, Paul J Ingram fifty six, who is our Monterey um, correspondent. Correspondent. Uh, he was talking about weather and so forth and after the show last night or late and I missed it on the other hand he says Sonoma in March with the same climate has decomposed granite parking areas with good drainage and a huge spectator area under the grandstand where in case of a deluge fans can seek shelter while buying food and merch and he was talking about the Sonoma issues with some mud in March I, I'm sorry the Laguna Seca I don't think Sonoma is being discussed at this point and my guess is we're going to see Laguna Seca in the summertime, but I do not know that. Uh, maybe we get a schedule out early September. I think that's always kind of the goal is to be able to unveil that the last weekend of the season. All right, we'll see what we missed and more coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. And we had Scott Dixon's teammate, Marcus Armstrong, in the studio, who now apparently is stuck in the elevator. <laughs> We forgot to tell him which floor to hit on the way out that doesn't need a key card. Um, so if he's late tomorrow, and now he's... No, this is a New Zealand... It's more Marcus Armstrong. It's a New Zealand phone call. This is live radio right yeah. here. Yeah, this is... You don't get this every day. That's why it's good to tape. Now, this was an, a request to do an interview with a New Zealand oh, okay. uh, network today. So I. Although maybe that's Marcus. Maybe that's Marcus's number there. Let's just share what, it. Why don't you, Maybe not. <laughs> you want to call Marcus back? Oh, no. Okay. So I've texted I, Will from Public Relations, and hopefully he eventually gets out. If he's late for, for the track walk tomorrow, then he's here in the MSP. He's got till 9 o'clock on Friday. Yeah, I think I think he's, he's going to be good. Um, oh, one other thing I should mention. I mentioned this a week or two ago since Dr. Han is here from the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, our friends at Prime 47 downtown are doing something really cool this month as, as kind of a thank you, and it's sort of a, a give back for their participation in, in the Burger Bash. Everyone that 
dines at Prime 47 this month if you mention the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Put it in the notes in your reservation. The 20% of your bill, 20% food and drink goes directly to the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer throughout the month of August. So I need to tweet that again. I did that yeah, maybe a, w- a week or so ago. So I'll tweet that again tonight that has the link. But just go through their website and the normal way that you make reservations. You might be able to call and make the reservation and give it a go that way and just say, I'd like you know a portion of my bill to go to the cancer center. Same thing if you walk up. Uh, I know it does not apply to like if you do a big event there or something like that. But if it's just you and your family or friends at a table for dinner, rack up that bill and let's send some money to to this IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Couple of nuggets. Uh, I've seen on NASCAR social media that they are changing the restarts. There may be less chaos. And this might be a good idea because I was worried about the Xfinity race finishing before dark starting at 5.30 and maybe even the cup race at 2.30 on Sunday, but they're not going to start in the same place that IndyCar does, which often leads to a big pile up in turn one and then even more coming back on the Holman Boulevard, even when they do get through turn one. So they're going to start basically around pit in is their restart zone. So um, I get it because they want to stop tearing up stuff so the idea is that's really going to spread out people potentially going into turn one. The earlier you start them, the more that that it gets spread out. So that's that's one nugget. Another thing I had on my mind that we didn't finish up from Monday in our conversation, uh, what happened to David Malukas when the wing fell off in Nashville on Sunday? Essentially, there was an engine fire, and then from that, it melted and delaminated something attaching the rear wing uh the rear wing pillar so that's yeah, the pillars so they had they had two issues so i'm gonna guess he lost an engine out of that as well and they might have to change um on that front so that was one of the other aspects another thing that didn't really catch my eye until i think i saw honda tweet it They've won all five, or they won, because that was the last one. They won all five street races this season. Yep. Yep. And uh, from a million-dollar bonus standpoint, just those those four street course winners are the only ones eligible for that now, because uh, nobody else can win a street circuit this year. So that uh, people-ready bonus, uh, you've got Polo. Uh, Kirkwood won two of them. Kirkwood is one of them. Lungard is one of them. And Marcus Erickson, the St. Pete winner. Yep. So they'll need to break the New Garden strangle on ovals and then... And also win a road course. In, well, Pelot's already done that. But the others... The so other, Pelot's the only one in position. He really is. And if he wins uh, he wins at Gateway, that would be the sweep. And that's, that's the last chance. The last chance. So really, that's the only chance. He is the only one that no. is now... No, the others could win the oval and one of the last three road right. courses. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that's you know those, which is also a Joseph Newgarden Invitational. That's right at Gateway. Yeah, only won five straight oval races and should it be seven at this point. But. I think three there at, at Gateway. Yep, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Um, Schedule stuff. Oh, I want to check a couple of Twitter things too. Well, while you're looking at that, Pelot, yep. we talk about if anyone could catch Pelot. He's only won races at three of the last four oh. uh, tracks on the schedule. He's so won fine. at IMS on the road course earlier in May. He's won at Portland and he's won at Laguna Seca last year only by 30 seconds. So he's in pretty good shape. So he could skip the next two races and. If Joseph Newgarden sweeps them and scores max points, would there be 108? Polo would only be 24 points behind. That's right. If Newgarden sweeps the next two races and scores max points, and Alex just says, I'm going to stay on the couch. I believe I read he could average a ninth place finish the rest of the season if Newgarden won every race. He wins the final four races. 
Pillow could average ninth. By the way, he's not finished worse than eighth. And his average finish is? 3.25. He... The other thing I came across yesterday is he's completed all but one lap since last year's Gallagher Grand Prix. I hadn't mentioned that he's yet. He's had no I'm... troubles going back all the way to last year's race weekend, this part in the calendar. And that, again, shows how difficult that is that Tony Kanaan did. And a few years ago, Pagano did it and somebody else. Who else did well, it? Well, Dixon and, and, and Power both did it last year. They did? Okay. It happened again. They did um, two, first. I think very that was, rare. I think that was the first time two drivers had done it in the same nice season. Uh, okay. For Power some reason, I thought maybe in nineteen or something, Pagano and someone else did. But the point being, and even with Pelot, it should be an asterisk to some extent because it was Iowa. He finished like sixth or eighth in the race, <laughs> and he was a lap down. But that's what it is. There were five on the lead lap, so that's how that ends. It's not because actually they had he did a, finish fifth. Remember, or did he get to fifth? We'll have to look. In one of the races. Well, yeah. In one of the races, he finished oh, they, third. Oh, that's right. In the second race, he finished third. And in the first race, I'm going to guess that he finished eighth. And I'll be able to right. tell you with right. certainty here in. Once again, a, you a have trouble remembering moments. both races. We do that. Yeah. The point is, the guy's had a pretty good season. Yes, he has. Uh, Twitter point or question. This is from Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan. She just uh, she links an article and tagged us and said, "Very proud of my son." Published article on IndyCar's greatest team rivalry. Rivalry, Justin Bailey in the StandpointNews.com. So you can see that uh, article there. Mister Sonarino asks, "Will there be an IndyCar warm-up on Saturday morning? Will the practice at 4 p.m. Friday count as the quote warm-up?" Thanks. No, that's there, that's it. That's, that's the warm up. The only IndyCar on track action on Saturday is the race, because Saturday the first part of the day is NASCAR. It's Xfinity practice qualifying, Cup practice qualifying, IndyCar race, and then NASCAR Xfinity race. After that, and I read a tweet from uh, Paul J Ingram fifty six, who is our Monterey um, correspondent. Correspondent. Uh, he was talking about weather and so forth and after the show last night or late and I missed it on the other hand he says Sonoma in March with the same climate has decomposed granite parking areas with good drainage and a huge spectator area under the grandstand where in case of a deluge fans can seek shelter while buying food and merch and he was talking about the Sonoma issues with some mud in March I, I'm sorry the Laguna Seca I don't think Sonoma is being discussed at this point and my guess is we're going to see Laguna Seca in the summertime, but I do not know that. Uh, maybe we get a schedule out early September. I think that's always kind of the goal is to be able to unveil that the last weekend of the season. All right, we'll see what we missed and more coming up in a moment on Trackside.